And uh, what a good subject that that is. Let's just pray. Lord, thank you for this time right now. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to be the teacher and to teach in our hearts what we need to know. Lord, thank you for preparing us uh, to serve you, Lord, wherever we are in our lives. Lord, you have things for us to do. That's why we're here. Thank you, Lord, that you prepare us for whatever you have ahead for us in our life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, this is, uh, I want to share uh, this in two messages, as you know, this morning. And so I want to start in uh, using uh, Jesus as our example, as the servant of the Lord, and uh, in Psalm chapter Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. Let's start there. And actually, this is the Messiah speaking. Sacrifice and offering you, God, did not desire. So what he's saying is that animal sacrifices did not satisfy the heart of God. They were, of course, teaching tools to prepare for the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. And, that, and that's interesting that in the Hebrew it says, my ears you have opened. But in the Septuagint translation and, uh, and, and, and the way he, the book of Hebrews will translate this, it says, but a body you have prepared for me. That seems to be two very different things, doesn't it? But actually we're going to see that those two things are equivalent, but I'm going to pick up on that phrase. My ears you have opened, but that's the same as a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. This is Christ declaring as he is about to come into the earth in the incarnation. He is saying, I, I come. I come into the earth, as it were. This is Christ in heaven, just as he's about to take on a human nature. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. In other words, the, the Old Testament had given many prophecies of the Messiah, of what the Messiah would do and accomplish. Many, many, many prophecies. And he, is, he's, he has come to fulfill those prophecies. And he says, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, that is the heart of a servant of God. It's not we've got to do these things, but we delight to do his will. And he has come to do the will of God. And it says, your law is written, is within my heart. And of course, what it was written of him to do was to come and live a perfect human life, um, keep the law, and ultimately then to offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our redemption. Praise God. He's the servant of the Lord who come to do uh, the, the will of God, and he delights to do it. And so these are the words, and, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 to 10, claims these were the very words of Christ as he was coming into the world at the incarnation. And it was saying that the Old Testament sacrifices could not satisfy God, could not pay the price for sin. Uh, they couldn't by themselves save us. But, so, but God used them to prepare us for the ultimate sacrifice 
of Christ. Um, and so let's, let's read this in Hebrews. This is, I believe this is Paul that, uh, giving the interpretation. And he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, and this is quoting Psalm 40, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. All right. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, which was ultimately to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. I delight to do your will, O God. And then Paul is interpreting. He says, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. That is, he, animal sacrifices weren't going to cut it nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. Notice the contrast with the animal sacrifices and the sacrifice of Christ. He has come to do God's will, which was to die as the final sacrifice. And, and, but the, let's just note the attitude of the servant of God is, I delight to do your will. You know, now we're not going to have to probably have to offer our lives as a sacrifice on the cross, but we are called to offer our bodies and our lives as a living sacrifice to do God's will. And sometimes that will involve suffering. And, and yet, if, if our part is prepared to serve God, then we will be able to say, I delight to do your will. I want you to be glorified in my life and in my obedience. Praise God. So he says, then he said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. And he takes away the first, that's the Old Testament sacrificial system, that he may establish the second. That's the New Testament sacrificial system. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Praise God. And so this is just giving some background here that as he is about to come into the world as a man, he says animal sacrifices can't save but he is coming as God's servant to do God's will and to lay down his life as the final sacrifice. And he, in saying that, he says, in contrast to the animal sacrifices, he says, but a body you have prepared for me. See, when, when God has something for you to do, he will provide what you need to do it. For Jesus to do what he had to do, which is offer himself as the final sacrifice, God had to give him a body. He, God gave him what he needed to do it. What is happening here? As Christ stands at the threshold of, as it were, the doorway between heaven and earth, he's about to come into the earth. What is he doing here? He is dedicating himself to God to do God's will. And this is what we're talking about today, the preparation to be a servant of God. There is preparation. And the key word, I believe, in that preparation is dedication. Dedication to God. These what we've been reading was Christ's dedication to God to do his will, to fulfill all that God had written for him to do and to delight in it. And so he is setting his heart as the servant of God or even the doulos, the slave of God, to do God's will. Thank God he was willing 
to do that. And dedicating himself to God with a willing heart to offer his body as a living sacrifice. This body you have prepared for me. And, and so the New Testament quotes from the, the, the Septuagint translation, the Greek, but the Hebrew doesn't say a body you've prepared for me. Interestingly, it says, my ears you have opened, or dug or pierced. Okay, so pierced ears are in the Bible, okay? My ears you have opened, my ears you have pierced. Now, what's going on here? And it, we're going to see it carries the same meaning. He is describing himself as God's bond servant, which is the polite way that the translators put it, because of the evils of slavery um, that, that developed in history, it, the translators were very nervous to talk about us being slaves of God. But the word used, doulos, really is the word for slave. But we kind of, we don't want the baggage that goes with that word. So we talk about um, bond servant. But, but really, this word doulos is, is slave. The difference between a slave and a servant is ownership. And we are owned by God, whether we like it or not. If you're a believer, you actually do like that deep down. You belong to God. You were redeemed and you were purchased by God and you belong to God. And he is your, the owner and he's the owner of all the blessings and all the grace that he gives you. All right. And, that, and we are actually, we're his sons, but we're also slaves of God. And, and therefore, he deserves our obedience. But there's something interesting in the, in the Hebrew customs of, let's call it bond servants. There were two kinds of bond servant or, or slave. It wasn't like the slavery that we would all condemn as being evil. But basically, if you were in debt, um, you know, uh, you would have to pay off those debts. How are you going to do that? Well, one way you could do that is, as it were, sell yourself to be someone's servant for a number of years. It wasn't forever, but for a number of years. And through being that servant, you could pay off those debts. But an interesting situation arose that some people um, who had paid off their debts uh, chose to stay as a servant in that household. They, in other words, they weren't doing it to pay off their debts, but they did it out of love, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, they freely gave themselves to that master, who was obviously a good master, who provided for them, and they had a good life with him. And, and they, they freely gave themselves as bondservants out of love. And, and a bondservant or does it voluntarily. He is free, in the sense he has got no debts to pay. And, and first of all, this is a picture of Christ, because he didn't have any sin. He didn't have to become a slave because he had to somehow pay off his sin debt. He did it out of love, out of love for his father, out of love for us. He's the perfect picture of the servant. And likewise, if we are redeemed, praise God, Jesus has canceled our sin debt. So we don't serve God to somehow pay pay off the sin debt and do what we need to get into heaven, as it were. That is not the basis of being a servant of God. 
It is because we, we have been redeemed. We have been set free out of love for our Lord and Master. We now want to serve him. And that's the nature of this kind of bondservant. And this, can, this is where the connection with the piercing of the ear takes place. Let me take you to Exodus 21, verse 5 and 6. We should be like Christ, the, the bondservant, who, the, love, the bondservant of love. It's interesting that the most common title that the apostles gave themselves was not, I am the great apostle Paul, you know, or the great apostle Peter. It was most, the main title they identified with is the bondservant. You know, you, you hear about apostles so-and-so and prophet so-and-so, and you don't hear of many who put bondservant on their cards, you know. Uh, but that, that is what the apostles did. That's what they saw themselves as, the bondservant of Christ. Exodus 21, 5 and 6, and you'll also see the same passage, essentially, in Deuteronomy 15, 16 and 17. So it's, it's repeated twice. And... Um, we'll see where the piercing comes in here. But let's just read that passage. If the servant plainly says, so this is talking about a servant, he's paid his debts, he, he can go free. But the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife and my children, I will not go out free. In other words, it's out of love that he chooses to serve his master who has been gracious to him. And, and cared for him. And praise God, in, in the same way, Jesus said, because I love my father and I love my bride, the bride of Christ, and I love my children, the, the, us, the sons of God. This is why he took on the form of a servant. Hallelujah. And, and so, anyway, this servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Then his master will bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear. There we have it. The pierced ear is the mark of a bondservant. He shall pierce his ear with an owl. Um which is the sound that the guy makes, I guess, when he sees the owl. I don't know if that's the origin of, of the name owl, but I think you know what it is. It's some kind of metallic thing that uh, pierces the ear. And he will serve him forever, as, as it were, as a love slave. And in, in presenting his ear to the door, he was actually dedicating himself to be a love slave. And so the piercing of the ear represents to a Hebrew, represents, um, uh, refers to a Hebrew servant at the time of his freedom who wanted to remain a servant out of love for his master. And he presented his ear to be pierced at the door, the doorpost, with an owl, a pointed metal instrument. All right. And so we, we can begin to put this together now. Um, he is making a dedication to be the servant, to, to be that love bond servant. And then the master accepts his dedication 
And he does that by preparing, by, by piercing his ear. It's a, it's a principle that whatever we truly dedicate to God, God will possess by his spirit. The more of our heart that we actually offer up to God, the more his spirit will possess us. And this is talking about, this is holiness. Holiness is made up of two parts, if you like. There is our dedication, our surrender, because God respects our free will. He will not take possession of what we don't offer to him. But what we were talking about uh, in the earlier prophecy about the Lord standing at the doors of our hearts, you know, because he wants to take full possession of all our hearts. And we allow him a little bit here and a little bit there. Whatever we open up to him, he will come in and take possession of that area. He will fill that part of our soul with his spirit. And so there is a dedication and then there is consecration. Dedication is what we do, albeit by the Holy Spirit's help, um, and consecration is what God does. That is God possessing what we have dedicated with his spirit and filling us with his spirit. And so in Ephesians 5.18, where it says, be being filled with the spirit, that is implying that we, are to, we have a part to play of offering our hearts to God so that he will then fill us. Let me give a little bit of background on this, this issue of the, the Hebrew thinking. There, were, there, are two, there are three states you can be in, um, but there's only two states you can actually abide in. On the, now let's, get on the, let's make this the negative side. Yes, we'll make this the negative side. This is the state of unclean. This is the state of sin, all right? Then the only way you can be, be cleansed from that sin is through blood, through the blood of Christ. So the blood cleanses you from sin. That brings you into a neutral state. Let's call that negative. When, when the bl cleansing blood is applied, you are now zero, okay? That is called clean but it is also called um, common, okay? Um, and that is not the ideal state, all right? Then, to get into the positive state, that is holy. And the only thing that makes you holy, it's not you keeping rules, the only, it, only God is holy. And it's the presence of God in you that is your holiness. And so, the blood cleanses the unclean, but then once you're clean, you need to offer up that to God so that now he can consecrate that and fill it with his spirit. Then it becomes holy, okay? So one of the rules, for example, is that you cannot consecrate an unclean thing. All right, so if something here is unclean, I, I tend to use this example. Uh, let's say we have a prostitute here. All right, she's in an unclean work. Now, she cannot get the anointing on that. All right, she can't pray, oh God, I want to really bless my customers today. Please, you know, anoint me for, you know. You cannot anoint something that is unclean. 
you first of all, it first of all has to be cleansed. Then you can offer it to God and he will consecrate and so on. So whatever your job is or whatever you do, it, it probably is clean, okay? But even if it's clean, that's not really good enough because there's a difference between a job and a ministry. Let's say whatever job it is, if you just do it as a job to get your money, fine. But that's, that's just a common thing. But you can make it holy by offering whatever you're doing to God, dedicating to God and say, God, I give, I give you my job, my work, what, and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit that, that I do it unto you as a ministry. And then it becomes something that is holy. And, and these, are, these are key concepts. So only blood can cleanse the unclean and only oil. In other words, the Holy Spirit. And that's why you often see blood and oil combined the, the, in the anointing of the, the priests. I think there was the blood and then the oil. The blood cleanses, the oil consecrates. Praise God, you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, but you also need to consecrate yourself to God. Now, I want to just point out as well that uh, the, the common state is, is unstable. There, there is, um, it, it's a bit like if you have a, a vertical, uh, if you have a bowl, if you have a bowl that's open and pointed upwards and put a ball bearing inside it, the ball bearing will settle down to the middle position, won't it? That's called a stable equilibrium. But if you turn the bowl upside down and try and put the, bowl, the, the ball on top, what's going to happen? It's not going to stay there for long. It's an unstable equilibrium. Now, a common state is unstable because you are, if, you, if you just think, oh, well, I've just confessed my sin, you know, that's enough guess what's going to happen? When the temptation comes along again, you'll do the same thing. All right, why? Because you don't have the presence of God in your heart in that area to resist. And so when you confess your sin, and let's say there's a certain besetting sin you might have, yes, confess it to God, but then what you need to do is then offer your heart in that area to God and say, God, please fill me with your spirit. So that now there's the presence of God in me now that's able to resist. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. I've gone off the topic a bit here, but anyway, I just want to fill out the, this understanding. No one can serve two masters. You'll, you'll end up either serving God or mammon. All right. God and that idol. You, you, you can't walk that tightrope for long. It's, it's impossible. One or the other. You'll either go here or you'll go here. You, you can't, and a lot of people try and walk, keep one foot in God and one foot in the world, as it were. And it just doesn't work. And so what God wants us to do is dedicate ourselves to him and ask God to fill us with his spirit in other areas. Let me just bring you just one example. And you know it. at the end of Matthew 12, he talks about this house that was cleansed and set in order. So this is a person who had an evil spirit, but he got so fed up with the bondage and the, that came with that, that eventually he obviously 
got help and he got delivered because he, he just didn't like that evil spirit and what it was doing to him. Um, but the problem is he, he didn't want God. Yes, he wanted to be free of that nasty thing, but he didn't want God. So he didn't invite God to fill his house. So as a result, uh, the house was set in order. It, was, it seemed on the outside like all is well, but this is an unstable situation. The, you can't maintain that because, and you know the story, the evil spirit in the end decides to return and brings along seven others, <laughs> worse than himself. And of course, because the house is empty, there's nothing in the, there's no presence of God in this house that can resist. And so he ends up in a worse state than ever. So it is not enough to be clean. A lot of people think it's enough that we are nice, moral, civilized people. You know, our house is set on order. But that is what Paul says, people who have a form of godliness but deny the power. That, that does not impress God at all. And what we need to do to be real people of God is not just to be nice, you know, civilized English people, as it were, but uh, with relatively good manners, but people who are filled with God, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, people who are holy. And then when the temptation comes along, we'll have a, the presence of God in us to do that. All right, so by the way, to profane, because these concepts aren't in our culture anymore, when we talk about profanity or to profane something, it's actually to treat something that is holy as if it were common. All right, so profanity is treating like the name of Jesus as something that is common. Or even when, even some preachers say, oh my God, okay, that's profanity. All right, when they, they do it in a flippant way, you know what I mean? Um, not when they say, oh my God, I love you, you know what I mean? But uh, to, to treat something um, holy as if it were just common. So that, that's kind of some background thing, but let's, let's get back to the pierced ear. What does, this, what does this mean? What he did there is open up his ear to hear. That's what it symbolized. By nailing the ear to the door, <laughs> this is obviously symbolic that now that servant's ear is opened to hear and obey his master. As it were, his ear is dedicated. He has dedicated himself. He's presented his ear for this piercing. He is dedicating himself to hear and obey God. Can you see that that ear represents his whole body? In presenting his ear to be opened, he is actually presenting his body as a living sacrifice to do his master's will. And, and so the, this picture is that he is now to be always open to hear the voice and commands of his master rather than his ear being clogged up with his own... I'm just keeping an eye on the clock. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> There's a closer clock. The people watching the video wonder what I'm doing there. Um, 
uh, the first time I preached on video was in America and um, there were some strong lights and I was trying to see the lights at the back so I was unconscious of what I looked like and I st started doing this <laughs> and, and I, I think on the video I looked a bit demented for about five or ten <laughs> seconds but um, anyway um, the key attribute of a servant is a hearing ear and that hearing ear is the manifestation of a dedicated heart. And so the servant sub offers himself, submits himself freely to his Lord out of love, out of gratitude, and trusting him to provide. All right? This servant trusts his master, will look after all his needs. And that, so he is free just to offer himself to, the, to his Lord. And so it, this, op this pierced ear represented someone who had voluntarily dedicated to serve his master forever out of love. It's a mark in the flesh of a true love servant willing to do anything that his master asks him to do. The ear is always open to hear the master's commands. So by presenting his ear to be pierced, he was presenting himself, his body, as a living sacrifice to obey his Lord forever. And it also signified that he is willing to endure pain and sacrifice, even to be pierced for his master's will. And so he's presenting, we're going to eventually connect this with Romans 12, offering ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. If the master accepts the servant's dedication, then he consecrates him at the door for service. And think of this doorpost, this wooden doorpost, as an altar. In other words, his body is being nailed to an altar. I wonder if that rings any, if that resonates with you, with Christ. Wasn't he nailed to a wooden cross? And so... He offers his body as a living sacrifice on a wooden altar. And when he does that, the Lord, his Lord, opens his ear, signifying he is now able to hear his Lord. And now he is prepared, set apart, and anointed for service. And he is ready now to go through the door. It was done at a door because when you do this, you go through a supernatural door into the fulfillment of your mission and your ministry. So what this is a picture of is when you dedicate yourself to God, God opens your ear so that you can hear him. See, sometimes people say, well, I never hear from God. Well, have you dedicated yourself to him? Have you said, Lord, your will be done in my life? Not my will, but your will be done. Because when you do that, God will supernaturally open your ears. And you will begin to hear. It only happens according to your dedication. And the, and the more fully you dedicate yourself to God, the more he will open your ear and give you ears to hear what he wants you to do. And suddenly you'll become aware of, of what God wants for you to do. And so this pierced ear is, is again, represents the, the offering of your body to do God's will. 
All right. So <coughs> that's the key thing. If you are to do, be a servant, you need, your preparation is to have an, a pierced ear, an open ear that you can hear his, him leading you. Isn't that right? And I'm not saying he, he will lead you with in, always in dramatic supernatural ways. He leads you through often through your heart's desire. All right, you, you, you submit it to God and then God gives you a desire to do something for him. And, and you might think, it's oh, that's just me. But no, God works through your heart's desires if you submit your heart to the Lord first. Then you can trust those desires as he gives them to you. Praise God. And so God will open your ear because that's the sign of an open heart. And this is a picture of Christ, of course. He had the right to be free, but out of love for his Father and out of love for us, he gave up his rights as God and he took on the role of a bondservant. And he dedicated himself to the Father to do the Father's will. And he did this even before he came into the world. He stood at the door, as it were, between heaven and earth, and he dedicated himself to God. And as a result, God prepared a body for him, and he gave him ears to hear. He, was, he knew what God wanted him to do, offer himself as a, as a sacrifice. And he said, I, am, I delight to do your will. And at that moment, the doorkeeper, the Holy Spirit, opened the door and Jesus was born, was conceived into Mary's womb. He was dedicated at the door and then the Holy Spirit opened the door for him to come into the earth. And when you dedicate yourself to God, the Holy Spirit opens your ear and he opens the door for you to move into what God has for you. What he has for you is different to what he has for anyone else. Just want to show you this in John chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, and the door, the assigned door for the Messiah, is the incarnation and the virgin birth. That was the door Jesus had to go through to enter the earth. And he says, he who doesn't enter by that door, but climbs up another way is a thief and a robber. All the false prophets and all the rest. Verse 2, but he who enters the, through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, verse 3, the doorkeeper opens. Who's the doorkeeper? The Holy Spirit is the doorkeeper. The Holy Spirit is the doorkeeper in the doors of your life too. And when Jesus dedicated himself to be that bondservant of God, the doorkeeper, the Holy Spirit, opened the door and Jesus was born by, by the Spirit, as we know from Luke 1. It was by the Spirit that the incarnation took place. And likewise, when you offer yourself to God, he will open a door. The Holy Spirit will open the, the door that he wants you to go through and he will empower you to go through that door. And he says to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls them and leads them out. Praise God. And Jesus even in um, one, of the, one of the servant songs in Isaiah 50, 
described God's preparation of him as a servant. Of course, he served God all his life. For th- but for 30 years, he was prep- preparing for, as it were, his main ministry. But his whole life is important. But there was a time in practice we go through phases in our life. And, and by the way, you haven't finished. Just because you may have retired doesn't mean you fin- you've retired as far as God's concerned. We are going through different phases of our life. God will open up different doors for different phases of our life. But Jesus, I, let's go quickly to Isaiah 50, verse 4 to 6. Jesus is, this is a, a servant song of how God prepared him before he entered into his ministry. He says, Isaiah 40, verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who's weary. So God, God is training him. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Notice, God is, God is training Jesus morning by morning to, to hear him. He's preparing him to be a servant on a higher and higher level. The, the, notice the next phrase, the Lord God has opened my ear. So what's going on here? Every morning, Jesus is dedicating himself to his Father to do God's will. And God is opening his ear. And, and he is he able to hear everything God wants him to do. And he is obeying every day. He's learning that lifestyle of hearing and obeying. And then it says, the Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. Because what was the Lord showing him? that he would have to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He says, as God revealed this, as he grew up in his humanity, he says, I was not rebellious. I didn't say, no, God, I refuse to do that. Nor did I turn away from God's will. I gave, and then this is a description of the cross. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. So this is where we know Jesus had a beard, because that was normal in those days for Jewish men to have beards. Uh, and, but notice his beard was plucked out, which is very painful. That, that we only know that from that verse. I did not hide my feigned face from shame and spitting. So this is a, a, a messianic prophecy there. So I want you to see that this is, first of all, a picture of Jesus. He's our example, though, you see. So the official dedication and consecration is done at the door because it represents an entrance into a new dimension of life and service. And so, in a sense, you could think of of the start of each day as, as a new door, a new door of opportunity to serve God that day. And as you dedicate yourself at the start of the day, God will, God's spirit comes on you and he anoints you for God's will for that day. Praise God. And so, uh, likewise, when we dedicate ourselves to God, he sets us apart. He opens our ear to hear him. He anoints us and he opens the door of opportunity for us and sends us to serve him. Praise God. So, a pierced ear is the mark of a dedicated servant 
His ear is open to hear and obey his master's commands. Being pierced signifies he was willing to endure pain and sacrifice to be pierced for his master's will. See, to be a servant of God, you have to make a quality decision. If God tells you to do something, you do whatever it takes to do it. See, if you don't make that kind of quality decision to obey God, the moment you have a bit of opposition, the moment you have a bit of pain, the moment you've got to make a bit of sacrifice, your flesh tells you, let's not do that, this is too hard. <laughs> and, and, and therefore, you, you become an unworthy servant. You have to make the quality decision, I, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And, and sometimes, you know, we don't know when God tells us to do something, we don't know how long it's going to take to accomplish. You know, sometimes it takes longer than what we imagine. Sometimes God does something quicker than we imagine. But God doesn't always reveal the times, timings. So we have to have the attitude, I'm going to do whatever it takes. All that matters is doing God's will. However long it takes, well, that's God's business. But you have to make that quality decision, like that servant did. Once he got his ear pierced, that was it. He had made that dedication for life. And, and that's the kind of uh, dedication Jesus made. Praise God. Thank God. Otherwise, he would have just quit when th things got hard, you know. Thank God. He made that quality decision. I'm going to do what it takes to save them because that's how much I love them. Praise God. And Jesus proved his total love and obedience to the Father by being pierced through his body being pierced on a wooden cross. And that then became for us the door, not just for himself to be resurrected, but the door for us into everlasting life. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so the piercing of Jesus on the cross is the ultimate mark in the flesh that he is God's love servant. And his scars represent that, that he is God's love servant that was pierced for us. Uh, praise God. And um, he's our example for us as bond servants. Hallelujah. He's paid off our sin debt. But now our right response to God is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as God's bond servant. And when we do, praise God, God will put his spirit upon us. He will anoint us for what he has called us to do. Maybe it's to be an intercessor. You know, maybe it's to help a, a different a ministry or there are a whole variety of things. The one thing that we shouldn't do is do nothing. <laughs> all right? We are, n nobody is called to do nothing. All right? But I don't know what I'm meant to do. Well, get yourself before God. Dedicate to God. Say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Okay? Don't have, try not to have any preconceived ideas. And then he will take that offering and he will open your ear and you'll start to hear what he has for you to do. Praise God. Uh, hallelujah. And so he will open the doors of opportunity and send us through them. Uh, but it, I've, I know I've said it many times, but hopefully you've got the message. It's only... The preparation that's needed 
the essential preparation is dedication. Coming to God and saying, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I am not in charge. You are my owner. You are my Lord and Master. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Please open my ear that I might hear you. And please open that, the door that you want me to go through. Praise God. And that's how we enter into, into that, play, that ministry or whatever God has for us to do. And, and so everyone, the Bible says everyone has a ministry. We'll pick up on this more in part two. But everyone has a ministry. Not a pulpit ministry necessarily. Thank God because if everyone wanted to be in the pulpit, that would be... Uh, I, I, I would, I would, exactly, there'd be no one to preach to, so, but no, but we all have a ministry, and we'll, we'll see that uh, when we go to Romans 12, um, but God, but the entrance into that ministry, just like Jesus, to, for him to enter into his ministry, he had to dedicate himself to God, and um, this, by the way, is the Old Testament background to Romans chapter 12. That, that's what we're going to, to, to pick up uh, next time. But think about Jesus at his baptism too. What was he, what was he doing there at his baptism? I, and I believe that baptism is by total immersion under the water. And that is a picture of death and resurrection, right? Death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus was prophetically going through a death, burial, and resurrection. Now, one, I think what was going on is he was dedicating himself to God to fulfill his ministry, which would ultimately mean his death, burial, and resurrection. He, he was saying, God, I am willing to do your will, uh, even though it, I'm going to have to lay my life down in death, burial, and resurrection. And notice this is, a, this is prophetic because the sequence is death, burial, resurrection, and then the Holy Spirit coming down. And in the same way, that's what happened to bring in the new covenant. It's death, burial, resurrection, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So he was dedicating himself to God. He knew what was ahead of him, not necessarily all the details, but he certainly knew he, would, he was offering himself to God and saying, I'm, I'm willing to offer myself as a sacrifice, to die, be buried, be arose again for their salvation. And as he went through that, what did God do? As he dedicated himself to God through baptism, God consecrated him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and anointed him and set him apart for that ministry. And God said to him, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he entered through the door into a supernatural ministry for three and a half years, which was awesome. <laughs> okay, and, and that's, that's a picture of the same thing, you see. Jesus had to enter through the door into the new phase of his life and ministry through a dedication to God. He offered himself to God and then God possessed. Whatever you offer to God, God will possess. He will take that. Um, we, 
the thing that makes it real is not our dedication. Because we could dedicate all day long, but if God didn't respond to that, you know, our self-effort of trying to dedicate ourselves isn't going to achieve anything. You know, that, that is important. But it's only because God takes possession of what we surrender to him that it suddenly becomes real because then the stronger presence of God comes into our souls. I just feel led to, I know I've got till 11, so I've still got a few minutes. Um, James chapter 4, I just want to illustrate this, to build your faith that whatever you offer to God, he will take possession of. All right? You, you can relax on that point. <laughs> All right? And, and it's exciting because the more you surrender to God, the more the holier you become in that sense, that the more presence of God will fill your soul. And praise God. And, and I love this little verse here in James 4, 5. James 4, 5. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, yearns jealously. And... and the word, what this is signifying is that the Holy Spirit wants more of you. He lives inside you. He has your spirit. I, I believe in spirit, soul, body. He, he, your spirit is born again. But your soul is going through a process of being saved. Your mind, will, and emotions. Your personality and the Holy Spirit wants to take possession of your heart and your soul. He wants to fill you. When I say take possession, it doesn't mean you lose your personality. The opposite, in fact. Well, you lose your independence, but you gain your individuality in the sense that he, you become who you are always meant to become. See, you, you are designed to be spirit-filled. And when the Holy Spirit fills you, you become the person God always made you to be. When you're empty of the Spirit, you're, you're a shadow of what you're meant to be. And, and God, um, when God fills your soul, you, you become the person. You become beautiful on the inside because holiness is the beauty of the Lord. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God makes you who you are meant to be. And so... The Holy Spirit, it says, is, is like a jealous lover he, or a zealous lover who wants more. And, 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 and he's talking in the context of, of the, the Christians there were, were being friendly with the world. They were giving their hearts to other things apart from God. And, and he's saying, God, like a jealous lover, gets upset about that because he wants you all for himself. And what this tells us is, the nature of God is a jealous lover. And that jealousy is not a bad word. Envy is a bad word. Do you know, you know the difference? Yeah, envy is when you want something that someone else has. Jealousy is when somebody, something else is trying to take what is yours. See, you do belong to God. You belong to the Holy Spirit. But when you, when you are unfaithful to God and you give your heart to something else, he's, he's upset. He's jealous because he wants you for himself. And he doesn't want his enemy to have your heart when it should belong to him. 
And so that means when you do turn to God and when you offer your heart to him, he's not going to stand back like that. He is going to accept your invitation. He is going to take possession of your soul. So you can be sure of that. And this is the one I'll leave you with. I call it the oil miracle. I'm sure you know it well. But I think this is a great illustration. Perfect. Three minutes. Um, the oil miracle is in Kings. Let me, I've got it here somewhere. I want to say King, 1 Kings 6, but I might be wrong. 2 Kings 4. <laughs> almost, almost. Again, I'll, I'll only just allude to it. 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. Very important miracle. You know, this, this widow was, was um, a running out of all food and everything. And uh, Elisha says to her, what can I do for you? And she says, all I've got left is a jar of oil. Verse 2. And, and so he says, be radical. Go borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Get as many vessels as possible. Empty vessels. And when you have done that, shut the door. And pour that oil into those vessels. And you know what happened. As she began to pour that oil, the oil filled up all the empty vessels. And then when she ran out of empty vessels, the oil stopped. All right? The oil ceased. That's in verse 6. And then, of course, she had all the loads of oil. And uh, she could live off that oil for the rest of her life. But the point is this. Those empty vessels are, is a picture of our heart. They are empty without the presence of God. They might be clean, but they're not going to stay clean, as I said, because sin will fill them up. If you do not offer the vessels of your heart, the compartments of your heart to God, if God doesn't fill them, in the end, sin will fill them. The enemy will fill them. So, but what this teaches us is whatever you offer up to God, as many as possible of those empty vessels you offer up to God, God will fill with his Holy Spirit. There is no shortage of the supply of the Holy Spirit. And as much as you offer to God, the Holy Spirit will fill that. The oil, of course, represents the Holy Spirit. And, and when, you, when you stop offering up to God, if, if the woman was a bit silly and just offered one or two jars up to God... Um, and then the oil would have stopped. And what if she had other vessels in the house, but she didn't bother to present them for filling? Then she would have she limited she would have limited how much God could have done for her. So God is limited to how much, how many empty vessels, as it were, that you offer up to Him. The more of your heart you offer up to Him, the more He will fill. And when He's run out of areas of your heart that you're offering to him, you've got to stop because he respects your free will. So the, the key there is offer yourself as much as you can and he will fill whatever you give him, he will fill it with his presence. He will fill it with his Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so the, there are no limits, really. The only limit was how much, she, how many vessels she, she could get hold of to offer up. Praise God. In practice, we're on a journey in life. But if you offer yourself to God each day, your, your, your heart will become enlarged 
and then you can offer a bit more the next day and a bit more the next day. If you start each day praising God, offering yourself up to God, worshiping God, then the next day you'll, some, there'll be more of the Holy Spirit in you so you'll be able to offer up more. And, and so when you understand holiness like this, it's exciting. It's an adventure. Why don't we do it more? Because the more you offer yourself up to God, the more you have to release control. The more you have to say, God, your will be done, not my will. And, and something in our flesh doesn't want to release control to God. But if we just have the revelation that it's going to be so much better if we let God fill us, you know, yes, we'll lose some control because his will is being done, not ours. But it's going to be much more exciting and much more lively. Praise God. God bless you. Um, Lord, we thank you. I pray you seal these words in our hearts that, that Lord, we will be reminded to dedicate ourselves to you. Lord, that we, we want to do your will. Lord, we want to do your will. So I just pray for each of us right now. Lord, that you would pierce our ears, give us ears to hear your will. Lord, we really want to hear your will. And, and we dedicate ourselves to do your will. Sh show us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, if anyone, if you have a door ready for someone to walk through, Lord, that as they are filled with your spirit, you will lead them through that door into that ministry that you've called them to do. Lord, I pray that you make that real for them right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.